Before I read the text, I'm going to do lead us in a quick prayer of illumination. This prayer is from Psalm 25. In you, Lord our God, we put our trust. Show us your ways, teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us, for you are our God and our Savior. Through Christ's Spirit we pray this. Amen. Our text this morning is Philippians 2, 1 through 18. In the ESV I'll be reading. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Before we dive into our text this morning, um, 
I want to give a couple reasons why I chose this text. Normally, I plan to choose a book of the Bible and preach series or sections um, through it, navigating, building on itself. But this morning, I chose to do a one-off sermon. And I chose this sermon, this actual text, this letter, um, because New Hope CRC reminds me of both the church in Philippi and the context in which the Philippians letter is written. When I think of New Hope and how I wanted to start my time here, the themes which are core to Philippians, that of encouragement and active Christian living built on a foundation of Christ, came to mind. Let me build on that. Let me explain some context that came to mind as I thought of New Hope and I thought of the Philippians. The context of Philippians is, at least for the author, one of discouragement or difficulty or trial or uncertainty. This letter is written at a time which most of us would not call the peak of Paul's ministry. In this letter alone, Paul alludes to or references imprison, imprisonment. He references those wanting to afflict him. He kind of justifies why God has put him in prison. And he alludes to the possible sentence of death. In many ways, this letter is written in the valley of Paul's life and ministry. And yet this letter, more than any other letter, is one abounding in joy and rejoicing, in affection and love, and in encouragement. And this letter uniquely is written to a healthy church. Last week, Pastor Perry preached on, I think it was... 2 Corinthians 11? Might have been 1 Corinthians. I always flip those around. But Paul's letters to the Corinthians are constantly corrective. This letter is unique. His letters to the Galatian, the Galatian, his letter to the Galatians is corrective. Philippians stands alone. Speaking candidly, as I have been here now just a week, which isn't very long, but from my very start, New Hope CRC strikes me with certain parallels, those of the uncertainty which I'm sure Paul felt in prison. And yet, I also am struck by from the very first time I've been here to the interview on Zoom, to the connections and interactions I've had, a spirit that is remarkably Christ-like. I was asked actually earlier this week by um, a friend. I took Thursday off and went to Schweitzer, went skiing. And my friend and his cousin, who are from Seattle area, asked why I moved across the country for an interim church. And I think it's appropriate to share that, share that before even jumping into this text. I believe the Holy Spirit guided me, but a huge part of that guiding was that I saw a church full of Christ-like actions, attitudes, and spirit 
and especially to your past pastor. That is not something I've seen in all the churches I've interviewed with. And that's a lot of churches. So well done in that. Well done for already being lights in the world. Lights mentioned like in verse 15. And with that said, briefly explaining why I thought of this text as I thought of you, I'd like to jump into our text, starting with verse 1 and 2. ESV says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Now this sentence might strike you as a little weird to start, as though Paul is wondering if there is or if there isn't any encouragement in Christ or participation in the Spirit. But what Paul is doing is actually using a specific form of Greek language or, or, or phrase, and it's called an if-then clause. And you can actually see it more clearly in the NIV translation, which puts in the then in this if-then clause. The NIV, and I'm going to reference both the ESV and NIV several times throughout this sermon. But the NIV translates these verses, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. The NIV puts that then in there. The truth is the Greek doesn't have to use a then to have this phrase. But the if isn't a one, a question questioning if. It's actually presuming what will happen. My Greek professor taught this like this. He would say sometimes he would be home and he'll say to his wife, honey, I'm going to the store. Is there anything you want me to pick up? And then she would respond, if you're going to the store, then pick up a gallon of milk. Now in the Greek, and actually I grabbed my old Greek book just to see how certainly it says that. And it says if the if part is true, then the second part is most certainly true. That's how this Greek works. And I think that's why my professor used that example, because if he drove home and had forgotten the milk, then he would most certainly turn around and drive back and bring the milk. So when Paul says, if there is any encouragement, any participation in the Spirit, he's not wondering if there is or if there is. He's, he's already said that these traits are present. In chapter 1, he acknowledges that the love is within them. Verse 1, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, then verse 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Verse 9, he says that the love that is already there might abound. 
And then he, in our text today, even, verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Paul is not wondering if these things are there. He knows they are. But they still can be brought to completion. They can be developed. And so when he acknowledges in the earlier chapters of our text that they are already working, this wording is given in such a way to spur them on. You're doing well, but continue doing so. Sort of like a coach. In fact, this first two verses are almost a clever re-saying of what was in verse 6 of chapter 1, where he says, um, it is for he will complete a good work which he started in you. You can see him saying now, reminding them that though God works in them, the working in them is also a working with them. That which starts with Christ's working is also done with us working alongside. So then when Jesus said, when Paul says that Jesus began the work and that they are keenly aware and they know the comfort, the love, the affection, and the sympathy of God in Christ, there is still a working, an active participation by them to bring it to completion to bring it to a one body, one love, one mind. And that same mindness, that same love, that full accord. These completions, they won't come from within the Philippians themselves, but are given, given them and worked in them and created in them by and through Christ Jesus in them. So I have to commend you as a congregation. Not only have you already displayed a spirit which is Christ-like by welcoming me, I also have seen in so many ways a spirit that is striving for one mind. Maybe not in the perfect sense of what I think Paul's shooting for, but since I got here, I have had congregants desiring to build a one-mind mentality by creating in a, me, at least, a spirit that is a Zags fan. <laughs> and uh, I have it here. Yeah, um, a Mariners fan. And I found that uh, this church is a wake-up call drinker or enthusiast. So I, uh, I interpret that as... as a striving already towards this one mind, this full accord, right? I'm teasing. That's not what Paul has in vision here or in mind. Paul is far more concerned with greater things than sports. And yet these gifts truly are, in many ways, a working towards that. Truly, they, they helped me as a a stranger who has moved roughly 2,100 miles, find a little bit more home, find a body and a place to belong. They are a love of the neighbor and the stranger, and they really do make me feel part of this congregation already. 
And so, well done. But I want us to see something kind of shocking. Even as Paul encourages them, referencing what is already present in them and then calling them to move towards completion, there is something striking. The verses which immediately follow are instructions and warnings. I want you to take a look and see this with me. Verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Now, unlike other churches which Paul writes to, which are actively in the wrong, we have no reason to believe the Philippians are doing these things, are self-interested or ambitious. And yet, Paul is keenly aware of how fickle the human heart is and how foolish and how even in the midst of success, often in the midst of success, we become less and less self-reflective or aware. It's also often at the height which we have is when we have the greatest falls. And so Paul, actually twice in this letter, does this lifting up followed immediately by a warning, a take heed. You can see it again in verse 13. He gives the Philippians this assurance, saying, For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. That should build you up, that should give you confidence as we live and practice the Christian life. And yet, immediately after that, verse 14 gives the instruction, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. I think it's worth paying attention how quickly doing right can, can lead to wrong. I know the, uh, in, uh, in the Screwtape letters, when, when uh, C.S. Lewis writes about pride and humility, he writes how um, when a man does something humble, he'll immediately think, how humble am I? And pride seeps up. Paul warns quickly. And I think for this church, as I look ahead and to the changes and the uncertainties, I think it's wise for us to take heed. I have served in several search committees, and it's really easy for a search committee or servants in a search committee in fact, within the last year, as I served in a search committee in which the congregants participated, were, were, were practicing their gifts, taking a spirit of humility, quickly it changed. And I remember as I led that search committee, two congregants coming to me, and the, the words will always be struck in my mind as these two congregants, these two followers of Christ, began speaking and really scheming. And they were completely unaware of what they were saying. They wanted their guy to be the next pastor. And he was a really qualified guy. He was married. 
He was like the perfect pastor, like the Instagram poster child. And yet I remember their words. They said, who do you think will cause us problems on the council? That spirit of division can quickly follow even in the most healthy and united churches. And that's because each of us, in and of ourselves, have our own mind. If you put a hundred people in the room, you will have a hundred different opinions. And so Paul warns us of a my church mentality, of a self-interest to look past that. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interests of others. Serving the interests of others is easy when it also serves your own, and when it doesn't go against your interests. But once it starts to go against your interests, that's when it gets hard. And here's the second place where I actually prefer the NIV's translation of our text more than the ESV's. Verse 4, the ESV says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In the NIV, it says this, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, you might not have caught the difference there, but it's actually somewhat remarkable in emphasis, not in content, but emphasis. The ESV says not only, and that only isn't actually in the text. The Greek has but also, and so the translators chose to put in only. But it's kind of cool to see how Paul words it. He says not looking to your interests. And I think he's building a case, a case which the ESV will then translate best in verse 5. But not looking to your interests. How hard is that? How hard is that to forget yourself, to neglect yourself, to deny yourself? The ESV actually makes it kind of easier by saying not only your own interests. It blends it. Interestingly, Paul will build an argument that I think follows closer to a not looking to your interests. In verse 19, he will say to the Philippians that in the Lord Jesus, he hopes to send Timothy to you soon so that you may be, he may be cheered by news of you. And he says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare or interests, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. In that we get a beginning of a, of a hint and a transition which will be further developed. And then he, he even says this and applies it to himself. In verse 17, Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Paul writes them saying that for him to die is gain, but to live is Christ for them. He's developing this idea, not of a love your neighbor as yourself 50-50, but, but actually what he will develop in verses 6 through 11, an example in Christ Jesus. Something which only Christians, built and renewed by God, given 
by the cross and by the Holy Spirit, given his mind and spirit, can strive for. Something that looks past our interests towards the interests of others. It's Christians who can love in a way that costs us radically in imitation and replication of Christ's sacrificial love. Because his mind, his love, and his spirit are in us and given us. The end of Heidelberg, the Heidelberg Catechism question one has this line, and it's often forgotten. It says, Because I belong to him, Christ by his spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Paul's pouring out in verse 21 this sacrifice for him to live or chapter 1, for him to live is Christ, or to die is gain for himself. All these things are pointing to a new, new frame of reference, orientation, and purpose of life. That of one built on Christ, outflowing Christ-likeness. And it's combined this transition is combined and equipped. This reality is shown and given us in verse 5. And the ESV does this translation the best compared to the NIVs. ESV says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The NIV says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What I love about the ESV and the Greek, they're both right. They're not wrong, but the, Greek, the ESV captures the full case which Paul is working towards. This idea that it is already yours. This mind, this spirit, this renewal is already present. If you have given your life to Christ, he is already working and working towards completion. The ESV, the reason it translates it slightly different is because it's translated with a redemptive historical lens. And so this verb, when it's technically absent, um, they, they put this is in there. The call and the achievement is in Christ and creating the Christ-likeness in our lives. And so, which is already, which is yours in Christ Jesus, this mind, this one love, this full accord should actually be the default setting, the natural tendency. That is, it's the easier way for us to walk. And when we walk outside of it, we should feel the Spirit's conviction. We should feel dis, disunity, disgruntledness, because we are actually fighting the work of the Spirit in us. In John 10, 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep not of this fold. I must bring them in also. 
and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Charles Spurgeon writes, he says, you know, if I have 99 things, and I think I actually might have mentioned this the last time I was here, if I have 99 things in common with a man, but not Christ, and I have just Christ in common with a man, but 99 differences, I have more in common with the Christian. And that's because the one shepherd unites the flock, no matter where they come from. G.K. Chesterton writes about freedom, and he says the truest freedom which one can have is when he gives himself up to another, and he is no longer slave to himself. And in Paul, he's building all these things, and then in verse 5 he says, that mind which is yours in Christ, it's already yours, and then he expounds it. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. In fact, this section is called the Hymn of Christ, and there's so much theological unpacking that could be done. In it, there's the pre-existence of Christ, the incarnation, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. All these things are the spectacles of Christ. But actually, what I would like us to see is the heart and the spirit shown. Jesus taught in Matthew, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, and a servant is not above his master. It is enough to be like his teacher, and it is enough for a servant to be like his master. And so when Paul, in these verses, articulates all which Christ has achieved, this death, this sacrifice, this emptying of himself, which we could never attain to. He's not saying we need to. Rather, we can imitate it, though, because that same mindset which achieved these greater things is literally given you by the Spirit. This mindset this love, this spirit is already yours and already working. God is already working in you and through you. And because he has redeemed you. So how can you concretely apply this both individually, this text, both individually and communally? Well, Paul, I think, demonstrates how you can apply it. In the next chapter, he says, Paul, applying it to himself, says that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings. And then he says, not that I have already obtained or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. He has this illustration of a personal life which looks to Christ and strives after him. Looks to all which is captured in verses 6 through 11 and sets that as the goal which orients his whole life. 
and why he lives out the way he does. Inspiring the Philippians to imitate him in his life and to imitate Timothy. But communally, as a church, how do we apply Philippians? How do we see? How do we follow these instructions and embody it? Practically, I have these hopes that though there will be changes in this church, a lot of them, and though there will be uncertainties and, and who knows, to be honest, right? There's already been a lot of changes. My hope is that the my church mentality, a self-interest, won't pop up. Rather, that we'll keep this as a model. That we won't look to create my church or my interests that will seek, as Timothy does, seek the interests of Jesus Christ and his church, his true church. We are given assurance by the redemptive work of Christ in each of us to know that this mind and spirit and servanthood and sacrificial love is something far within our grasp to do and practice and model. That no matter how New Hope changes, that we do not have to, we won't, try to create a church that is mine or yours, his or hers, but one that is Christ's and Christ's interests first and foremost and built on him. You join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, gracious God, you have called each of us and you have worked in each of us you call us here this morning as a body of believers from all different places lord with different interests and loves lord with different sports teams and yet lord you unite us you have united us by the person and the work of jesus christ and by his Holy Spirit, which he sends and works and equips us. Equips us to be his bride and the body of the church. Lord, in the coming days, months, and year, with every change, of the people here in the congregation or as leaders. Lord, I pray that there would be one mind, one love, and a full accord, built, strengthened, and unmoving upon the person and work of Jesus Christ and his spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.